0: Good morning, welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined via our video signal, and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, I got new shoes, can you tell? Got them in Australia. They have the coolest I'm going to move to Australia just for the shoes. So anyway, glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, as uh, many of you know, um, as I shared last week, that uh, my wife, Deb, has had a relapse with uh, the breast cancer, and it's come back pretty, pretty strong. And, uh, and uh, it's been a really bad week for her. God bless her. A lot of pain. She's been in and out of the hospital a couple of times. And I just got a text. They just took her in again for some fluids and stuff because she's just dehydrating. Uh, it's been really rough. We really appreciate your prayers. You have no idea. And, and ask you to continue to pray for us. And we're just going to trust God through this. The Bible doesn't say that we won't ever suffer. We suffer. You know, I don't like it. I vote. No suffering. (laughs) But it is what it is. But people have been great. We've had uh, wonderful ladies uh, who, in the church that have come and and stayed with us, uh, kind of tag-teaming and stuff. And, you know, when I'm gone and stuff, being with her. And it's great. Women have such a gift to uh, help people that are suffering. I mean, it's really amazing. I don't know how you do it. I don't, you know. She gets sick and I just go, ah! I don't know what to do, you know. But some lady always knows, "Well, try this and whatever." So uh, it's been it's been something else. Uh, anyway, as a uh, going through this week and thinking, you know, at some point, I'm sure you can appreciate it, this gets exhausting. It kind of sucks the life out of you, and you're "Oh, and think, oh what am I going to preach about?" And, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Tim Kimmel, who just recently did a uh, parenting Grace-based parenting conference with us. Uh, has agreed to come this morning, and he's going to cover for me. So I'm just going to sit and listen like you, and uh, allow me that grace. I know that you will. You're wonderful people. So uh, uh, Dr. Kimmel is a fabulous guy. I've known him for years. Uh, He's a lot of fun. (laughs) He's a little crazy like somebody I know. And uh, so we get along great, and uh, he has a great message this morning. So would you, is he here yet? There he is. Would you please give a warm welcome to Dr. Tim Kimmel? Hey,
1: guys. Thank you. I love crossing paths with Mark. Anytime we can be together, it's always wild. And usually ends up getting kicked out of a restaurant or something. But, and thanks for letting me be with you. Now, I'm I'm going to talk about marriage. But you might say, "Wow, okay, I'll let him. But I can check out here because you're not married. Listen, if if you're married or you've been married, or uh, you're going to be married, or you know somebody that's married, this is for you. I promise you, we have something for you today. Because, see, God, God placed uh, such a high priority on family. Think about it. Genesis 1, he comes right out of the blocks. He's created the universe. And now it's time to put his signature piece in place. His image bearers, the human race, and he, makes, he takes a clump of dirt and makes the man, figures. And then... From the man's side, he makes the woman. So a single uh, creation, he makes the, the man and woman. And now he has to organize them and kind of put them in some kind of a configuration. Now, he could have made them into a country or a country club or a corporation or a committee, but he didn't. He made them into a family, and he put that married couple at the pinnacle of that family as the pace setters, the vision casters for what would come after that. And he wanted family to be his way that he transferred his love and mercy and grace through the ages. And so there's a lot going, uh, resting on our marriage, and then, and then the snake comes along and slithers into the garden. Wanted to have a cigarette with, with Eve and talk about some things with her. And, and, and Adam, like an idiot, stood by and did nothing. Men, when a, when a snake comes into our wife's garden, we have a responsibility. You go get a shovel and you kill the snake. That's your job. Don't let it talk with your wife and visit and and, and pass half-truths around. So, so as a result of the fall, we still have this high priority on family and marriage, but now we all come into marriage with some serious issues, don't we? Huge issues. And you don't even know what the issues are until you get married. And then you find out, wow, I didn't see that one coming. In fact, to set this up, I want you to watch this video. Maybe some of you have seen this little brief video. But it just kind of shows how it can kind of take you by surprise. And you just don't know what to do in these situations. Watch
2: this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know. And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it. Like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop.
1: Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head.
2: It is not about the nail. And I'm not sleeping very well at all and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean all of them
0: That sounds really hard
2: it's... Thank you
1: Ow oh, come on. <laughs> on if you would just don't Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till That's, that's what we contend with. And, 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 and my wife knows all about dealing with issues because I married an angel. She married an idiot. And, and I wanted to wear a hat, a ball hat, on my wedding day. I've got issues. And, you know, and, and so that she wouldn't be surprised. And No, that doesn't look good for the photos. But we, you know, but, but we got married, and she found out, I'm a, I'm a ready, shoot, aim type of guy. I, I think, you know, well-laid plans are for posers. Uh, I, I'm a party waiting to take place how how, how cool is that uh, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that like to actually go down mark dead-end roads to 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 make sure they truly lead nowhere and so 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 we had these issues I, and, and I was a guy who consistently had dreams that eclipsed my ability to make them come true and so we we, we had to work through stuff and, and we found that 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 we had these issues, but even with our issues, God still had designed our marriage and your marriage as the primary delivery system for his redemptive love. So, so we try and bring this love to the center stage and, and stay strong, but unfortunately, we're also living in a culture that uh, it really works against us staying married or at least having a strong marriage. We, we're surrounded by a culture, I think, that is far more interested and preoccupied with weddings than it is with what follows. And there was a couple out in Phoenix area. We live in Scottsdale, Phoenix area of Arizona, and they were getting married. And they were going to have a wedding out on one of the golf courses there, north of Phoenix. And, uh, but, and they wanted to pastor their church to, to perform the wedding, but you're required to go through marriage prep. And they, they really didn't want to do that, but it was non-negotiable. You had to go through marriage prep. But their big thing is they wanted to have this wedding that no one would ever forget. And they were putting a lot of Planning and a lot of money into this thing. And, and, and so they went through the motions with the marriage prep, but you could tell their heart wasn't in it. It was all about, you know, the wedding. And the pastor tried to tell them, hey, look, there's a, you got to understand, there's a lot more uh, on the line here that we want to kind of prepare you for. He said, look, we are so in love with each other. Our love is all we need. Our love is going to be fine. Now, one of them heard about some guy that had these two doves. And he rented them out to people getting married. And he had these doves where, where they, were, they they would, uh, you, you go at one point in the, in the wedding and you, you, he had a pink uh, string around the neck of one and a blue around the other. And you, the, the bride and groom get them and they let him go and they kind of go like this up in the air and then they fly over the horizon. And this guy's calling him or something and he gathers them and rents them out to somebody else. They go, oh, that'd be neat. I've never seen that. that will be so beautiful, so precious. And so, they, and so they came to that point and the pastor said, what he had told them They told them you're supposed to say to set up this little analogy of their love. And they went over and and the the bride got hers and the groom. And they went over together with their little dove, And they went, and sure enough, they flew up. And the people, wow, that's beautiful. They're going up and up. Arizona has a large hawk population. (laughs) And there was a hawk up there. And he saw this thing and he saw dinner and he swooped down and we're not sure whether it was the head of the bride that got lopped off or the groom, but he came down and hit that thing and it exploded with feathers and blood and there goes the head and it sucked the wind out of oxygen out of the crowd and they got their wish. No one ever forgot their wedding. I mean, that was, that was something. Their marriage didn't make it two years. It didn't make it two years because they just thought all we need is love. Well, I think we have problems on the outside. We have problems on the inside that work against us. And what I want to do here is I want to rifle through something here with you that might help you see this a little bit clearer here. Uh, when we get married, I think we, we, we have perspectives that we look at our spouse through, and, and like, like lenses. And, and I want to show you three lenses that we look through. The first one here is the me lens. The me lens. And, and this is a... This is where, where you're, you're, you're grading your spouse and you're determining how you respond to your spouse by how, how whatever they're doing affects you. Now, as you're looking at this, can you all see me through that? Can you see me just fine? Because I can't see you. I'm looking at a mirror. This is a mirror of myself. This is that kind of interrogation glass they have in a police station. And so everything's about me. And so we, we get into these kind of situations where, where, where we, we use a lot of personal pronouns that were supposed to be a group effort, like my, my goals and my, my dreams and my money and my time and my space and my needs and my sexual needs and my lack of them. And, and so it takes it south. And then, then there's this one here, the love if land. Now, this is a tinted piece of glass. And so it's murky and it's, 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 it's not clear. And often this is a lens that someone uh, uh, that, that looks to when they're having to live with somebody like this. Because this, this is this kind of a person, is, it, it really wears down the other person. It's a weary person to be, to be married to. And so they, this love and this puts a lot of conditions on it. You know, I'll start treating you a little nicer if you just help me around a house here, or, or get your creepy parents out of our life, they're so nosy, or, or, or get involved with the kids, or stop hanging around with your loser friends or something. And so we put a lot of conditions on it. So there's those, and then there's this one here: the pious lambs. Isn't it pretty? See, it's all stained glass. It's very beautiful. But this is the most sinister of the three. This is the most sinister of the three because this one actually knows chapter and verse on how to heavy hand and get their spouse to do what they want them to do. They have no problem taking God's name out of context and in vain to get their way. And and, and, And so they come along and they use some of the very passages in the Bible to try and instruct us on marriage to use against one another. Now, I... I usually don't have a problem convincing somebody of their of their self-absorption or of their self-protection, but it's real hard to convince some people of their self-righteousness, because they have the Bible to back them up, even though they're using it for their selfish ways. Well, we need something better and more, and so 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 we finally come to our senses. And by the way, when Darcy and I got married, we had all three of these with us. We had had them, and we could we could switch around, and we could use whatever whatever worked. I can do me, love it, we, we knew that very well. And by the way, we weren't bad people. If you'd have met us when we were starting out, we were nice people. We had a lot of fun. We have a decent highlight reel from that time. But we were about ourselves. We were selfish people. And finally, we come to our sense and we realize this is wrong. This is ridiculous. We need to change. But even when we want to change, we still are inclined to want to do it in our own power. To demonstrate this. I'm going to invite Darcy to join me here on stage. I wish I could literally, but by, by video. Uh, by the way, we've been married 42 years. And um, um, raised four kids and have a growing group of grandkids coming along. Uh, all the kids are married. But this is Darcy, and, and you'll, you'll see how this works. Watch this. As long as we continue to try and manage our own relationship and our own power, we're also going to continue to be outgunned by life, no matter how well-intended we are. And to illustrate this, I'd like to ask Darcy to come out here and join me here. Because it's so easy to, even with good intentions, get off course. And, and, and so what, what I want to do is, here, Darcy, I'm going to give her this pink balloon. And, and the hardest part of this analogy I want to show you is right here where we have to blow these up. Let's say these balloons represent our lives, and and we finally realize that enough's enough. We need to turn this around. And I, I, say, I say something like, you know what, I am so tired of looking at Darcy through that me lens and, and cheating her out of all the kindness and respect she deserves.
2: And I'm not happy about what I've been doing with Tim looking at him through that prideful love-if lens. I mean, He didn't sign up for that, and goodness knows God expects a whole lot better from me.
1: And listen, I'm a semi-pro at using that pious uh, lens to drop the Bible or Jesus' name into uh, uh, the the mix when I want to get my own way.
2: Well, and I'm no amateur at that myself, but I'm going to change, starting right now by trying harder to do all the right things.
1: Me too. In fact, you know what? I'm going to start reading my Bible every day.
2: I think I'll start to journal about being a better spiritual partner for Tim.
1: And I'm, I'm going to join the men's ministry uh, down at the church and get some of those guys to be accountable to for being such a knucklehead.
2: I think I'm going to try that compliment your spouse three times a day thingy that we learned about at the women's retreat.
1: <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I'm going to buy her flowers even when I haven't done anything stupid or, or wrong. <laughs>
2: I'll even try to not say, is that what you're wearing? When clearly, that's what you're wearing.
1: I can do laundry. I can do laundry. I can do laundry. I can do laundry.
2: Wow, I think if I blur my eyes and use my imagination, I might be able to accept a monster truck rally as a date night. I mean, after all, what's important is that we're together.
1: And listen. I'm going to take those long walks on the beach with her even though no man in his right mind would ever want to do it. I mean, what's the point? I mean, where's our destination? We should have a mission. I wish we could maybe race somebody or at least time ourselves and see if we beat yesterday's time. But I'll do it because that's what she wants.
2: Wow, I am really looking forward to that next walk on the beach.
1: (laughs) Good intentions, right? Good things we want to do. But after a while, you say, what's the use? Let me try something else. There's another option. What were those balloons filled with? Yeah, air. But they were filled with our air, weren't they? They were filled with us. And, and, And until we let Christ come in and let his spirit fill us. We're, we're going to still continue to fail no matter how well intentioned and how glorious and noble our desires are. We need to let the work he did for us by setting us free at the cross become the defining factor of who we are. And when we do, everything changes. Because I know all about good intentions, good spiritual intentions, good biblical ones. But it wasn't until I realized that they're still about me that I, I realized I, I need to surrender these over to the Lord and let him have control. All right. there you go, Darcy. Look at that. Listen, we'll never be able to enjoy ongoing grace in our, in our heart connection as long as we're trying to operate in our power. We need God's power, don't we? See, when our love gets in trouble, we think, well, we need to jumpstart our love. We need to have a romantic getaway. We need to read a book or go to a conference. And those things have their place, but it only just puts us back where we we started from, and then we start to deteriorate from there. I'm going to say something you maybe not heard before, but, but I think the missing ingredient in our marriage isn't love, it's grace. It's grace. It, 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 grace is, love is what gets us married, but grace is what we need to kind of keep that, married, that, that that love strong and endure. And when I'm talking about grace, I'm talking about what happens when we surrender our heart to Jesus Christ and through his work on the cross, his grace on the cross, and that grace transforms us. It changes us into people that we could never be without his help. And it brings us beyond our silliness and our issues. And we need that grace in our life. And, and so Darcy and I have spent, spent our, our, our life studying how, what grace is. My, one observation we have about Christians is that when it comes to grace, we tend to limit grace to the work of salvation. And then we kind of go on a performance basis on that, uh, after that. But God meant his grace that he saved us with to wash through us and redefine us and change the way we see one another and deal with one another. And it doesn't mean getting away with murder or not having boundaries or, or that's all license, that's had that nothing to do with grace. But it has everything to do with letting Christ come through us and fill us. And so uh, all that said, uh, what we need is this lens right here, the grace lens. There you go. Nice, clear, beautiful grace lens to look through. We want to look through at each other the way God looks at us. In fact, that's a one-sentence summary of a grace-filled marriage. It's simply treating your spouse the way God treats you. That's all it is. Treating your spouse the way God treats you. Well, But the thing about it is, is grace is so abstract to a lot of people and they can't get their head around it. And so what we've done is we've taken and studied it and we've distilled it down to, to a, a, it's a very doable thing that you can do, but only through the power of Jesus. You can't pose this when you can't do it on your own. In fact, we got to where I, I could take God's grace and I could distill it down to a napkin drawing. I could break it all down there. In fact, put that graphic up there for him if you can. And, 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 and lay it all out there uh, uh, philosophically, strategically and Tactically, now if you want to get one of these, we have a, a cardstock type of these out at our resource table. You can go and get one of those. And I wish I had time to break that down, but I don't. In the book *Grace-Filled Marriage*, we unpack what that looks like. And I like to spend the rest of my time just kind of showing you a, just a little snippet of what a, an atmosphere of grace in a marriage helps us for. First of all, one thing: God's grace in our marriage inclines us to meet our spouse's truest needs because they have three driving inner needs: a need to know that they are securely loved, that they have a significant and purpose, and they have a a strong hope for the future. And when we're grace-filled, and it's Christ, uh, we're looking through the lens of Him, we want to be about doing that through the words we say and the actions towards Him. Now, when it comes to a secure love, the thing that's so unique to marriage is one of the great ways to build a secure love, and that's through sexual intimacy. But unfortunately, that is one of the areas where in many marriages, where people find their greatest disappointment. It's sad, but but you see, we, we, we live... Uh, we, we live in a, a world that, that sees sex as an appetizer to marriage and then a weapon you use on each other after you're married. And, and I've seen even Christian, Christian couples who, who they say they love each other and yet they use sex to manipulate or control each other or to punish or they see it as an obligation. Oh, it's Sunday night, time for a weekly interlude. Okay, let's get this <laughs> over with. Ready? Go. You know, it's, it's not, It's not. don't feel. Or they, worse, they demand sex. And sometimes the pious lens can use Bible verses to try and demand it. Listen, there's nothing about God's grace that he demands anything from us, even though he could. He's God. He can make us do whatever he wants to do. And yet he appeals to us through his love and his mercy and his work for us on the cross. And so there's no demanding. Or worse, defra- another type of uh, extreme is defrauding one another or defrauding your spouse. And I'm sorry, I'm just not interested in whatever. And there might be issues from the past that do that. But, but many times, I, 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 people, you know, drop the shame card, say, you have no idea, there's awful things happened to me, or I participated, and I, I, we hurt for all that, but listen, shame is a hiding place many times for our own pride, and our unwillingness to submit to God. Jesus poured a lot of blood out of his body to cover these, these wounds of the past, and turn them into sacred scars, so that we can move beyond them, and they don't hold us hostage. But when we let that happen, then Satan plays us like a sock puppet, and we get nowhere, And he robs our ability to give each other a sense of secure love. Darcy and I, early in our marriage, we were married a couple of years and we realized in this whole sexual thing, it was all new to us and uh, we realized, wow, you know, for each one to be inclined towards each other at the same time, it's just very rarely, unless you plan some romantic weekend, she might be in the mood and I it wasn't on my mind or vice versa. And so how do, we, how do we get there? And so she coined this expression. Now, Don't freak out when you hear the expression, but she says, let's have an attitude that we think is kind of reflective of what a gracious heart would be in this. And so she came up and says, let's practice convenience to sex in our marriage. Now she's not talking about having sex at a convenience store. It's not that, not, not that, Although I'm sure somebody's tried that. But no, it's just that. that why do we call them con, convenience stores? Because because they're called that because they're 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 available to you when you need them. They're they're interested in you when you when you, when you when you need it. And and that's. But you see, you can only have that when you have God's heart of grace, because God's heart of grace is always outwardly oriented. I was at an event where there was a bunch of other speakers, uh, Christian speakers, and, and I went out to dinner with two of them, and they were very good friends, and they were talking about things in their life, and it turns out their marriages were a mess, and, and a, lot of, a lot of stress in their marriage, and, and on top of that, they're, they're, they're basically in a sexual desert because they're, they're, their spouse, they, they just weren't uh, having much of a relationship with their spouse, and, and so and I felt so sorry for both of them, and then they went on to say, they were talking. One guy started talking about where this woman came on real strong to him at some event he was at, at a hotel. And then the guy said, well, I was in an elevator, and this gal came on. Then the guy, I was at an airport, and they started sharing all these stories about when women came on strong to them. Well, I'm flying home thinking about this, and I, I said to Darcy, I told her about this thing. I didn't tell her who the guy's names were, but I just told her about the situation. I said, Darcy, I must have moron and loser written all over me because in all my travels, I've never once had a woman come on to me. And she says, oh, no, no, that not, had nothing to do with that. It's because you have a red light glowing inside of you. And they have a green light or a yellow light. They're going around sexually hungry. And God never meant for us to go around sexually hungry. That's why he gave us marriage. And so one of the ways we build a secure love into one another is we, we deal with it. Because there's, there's, there, you can't go around sexually hungry in, this, in this, this world filled with so much sexual junk food. God God wanted to help us in that. Well, let me give you another. God's grace inclines us to set our spouse's hearts free. Look at this in in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Grace gives us the freedom, our spouse the freedom to be different and weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky, nutty. We celebrate that. And the, but the fact is, is when they're like that, and you're only looking through these lenses, those things about them annoy you and bother you. One more, uh, this is the last thing I want to talk about, intimacy. There was this couple got married. and They, they had never been uh, uh, together before. They got married, one in their honeymoon, but they got married in the wintertime. And so they ended up, like most couples do in their honeymoon, with nothing on except she had on a pair of tube socks. And, and, so, and, and they had a great time, and then they had, they had sex a couple more times. She had on those tube socks each time, and she started to attach to them, kind of like a baby does to a blanket or a doll or something. And so when they got, were intimate, she would just uh, always put on those tube socks. Or if they were going on a trip, she'd pack them, or she would, uh, going somewhere she thought one thing might lead to another, she'd always have them with her. And, but over the years, the elastic went out of them, and they got, you know, got the goofy colors and stuff like that, and it started to really annoy him. And, and turn him off. And he said, oh, please, don't wear that. Oh, come on, get over it. You're, you're gonna have a great time. I just feel better with these. He'd buy her some nice piece of lingerie. She'd put it on, had the tube socks on, just shut him down, and he hated it. And so finally, it was so frustrating, and he just was not just rejecting her, and finally went to a marriage counselor. And the marriage counselor said, why are you two here? And like a horse out of a, a, out of a, a block, he'd he started into the saga of the tube socks and told all the stuff about it. And the guy's listening, listened. finally he was done, He turned to the wife and said, did you bring those with you? Yeah, I figured this was going to be what this was about. She took them out and set them on the coffee table. And the counselor looked at those. And he looked up and said, are you nuts? I know guys that would kill for a pair of socks like this for their wife. If we could figure out how to harness what these socks are doing to your wife, and we could market them, we'd be zillionaires. I mean, you're you're a fortunate man. This is a great lady. You need to get over this. I mean, if I were you, I would guard these with my life. (laughs) And once he figured out that shift the lens and start looking through grace, that's funny. Once he changes, those socks started showing up in his wife's lives. That weird, she would get in her car and they're draped over the mirror, <laughs> or you know, got to put her tea in the microwave and they're right there. That once he started to realize that there's a better way to looking at this. A third thing is, is God's grace, and by the way, in the book we go into all, all these freedoms and these, these things in depth. But in uh, third way, God's grace inclines us to build the character muscles of our marriage. The, 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 the grace is about loving God in, 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 a, in a real-time way where, where, where we, we obey Him. We organically obey Him. But that takes muscles. So I was um in in, in fact uh, look, look at this verse here, Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 23 and 25, through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Encouraging one another. I, I, I turned 50, I decided, I had a weak moment. I think it was all those lead-based paint chips I ingested or whatever or all the bus fumes i had inhaled, but I, I, I decided I wanted to run a marathon that year. I should have thought of this 25 years earlier. I said, I'm gonna run a marathon, so I started preparing for it, and, I, and I, I, I applied and got accepted into the New York City Marathon, the Big Apple. How cool, what a great venue. Well, the, the, the New York City Marathon, is the first uh, Sunday in November, and it starts down in Staten Island, and you end up running through all five boroughs and end up in Central Park. And, and we, we staged it, at Fort Wadsworth. On, on just on this side of the Verasamoneros Bridge. There's like 30,000 of us there, and you're there a couple hours. Later, and it's very festive and exciting, and we're all around and getting ready and anxious to run. Well, there was this couple over by this, this uh, big fence, uh, the brick fence, and, and she had on uh, or decorated shoes and flowers and a little veil and, and a pretty shirt and uh, a bouquet. And he had one of those T-shirts that has like a, a, a tuxedo, and they brought a preacher, and they got married right there. And they're going to celebrate their marriage by running 26.2 miles. What? Anyway, so, but and they, they they send you off. They kind of you kind of tell them how fast you think you're going to do it, and they put you in blocks. And so they were in the same block with me, and so we all took off. And they were, but they're younger than me, so they were way out ahead of me. And I came through about halfway through Brooklyn. I came by and I saw him on the side, and he was bent over, and he was throwing up, and she was patting his back and rubbing his hair and comforting him. And, and thought, oh man, <laughs> get used to that. <laughs> yeah, you just—that's yeah, something you signed up for. And, uh, and, and, and then, and then uh, they passed me again because they're younger, and I didn't see him till I got—I'd uh, come down out of the Bronx, in, in, through Harlem, and into Central Park. And I'm into Central Park. I have a couple miles. i about a mile shy of, of the, uh, the finish line, and I saw him again. But this time, she was on the side, and she was just crying so hard. He had her shoe off, and she had blisters real badly. And you understand, blisters, you're done. It's over. And I felt so sorry, because they were almost there. Well, I finished, and they put the little metal over your, your neck, and they wrap you in a space blanket and give you a lunch. And, and I, was, I was hypoglycemic by that, and I needed some sugar in me. So I just sat down in the curb, and I'm eating an apple and watching all these people come in. And I sat there for a long time just eating. You know. And then I saw them about 100 yards out. I, it was the first time I saw them, but they weren't side by side anymore. He had her on his back. And he was working, and she had her little flowers there in her shoes. They were all muddy and messed up from the race, and they, and they, they came across the finish line. They put the medals on and wrapped them up, and they just—he kind of hobbled over, and they just fell into the grass this side. And I said, "I got to see this." And I came walking back, and I looked, and they were just holding each other like they were asleep. I said, "You have," I told them, "I said you have no idea what you just illustrated." This is what we sign up for. This is, this is what marriage is. It's a marathon. Except we don't have the, the luxury of thousands of people cheering us along. We usually it's lonely miles together. And, and we, need, we need, yeah, we come in with love, but we need to surround it with God's heart of grace, the mercy of the cross that spurs us on to love and good deeds. And lastly, God's grace inclines us to keep our marriage focused and dependent on, on God on, on him rather than on each other rather than on each other i i uh my my we were young raising our kids and we used to like to go to jazz clubs. so i arranged to take darcy out to a jazz club in, in scottsdale and there was a guy named robert Goulet was singing there he was the only option i had and he was real old and it was scary but but i thought it was all i had <laughs> and and he looked like will ferrell doing an impersonation of him and 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 and, 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 and but I arranged this all in babysitters, and it was a big surprise. And it was also her birthday was coming up. So I'd gone by and bought a, a watch for her, wrapped it up. And then there was a note there. And I, I wrote in the note a little thing to her, just a little love note. And I put it in there. And I said, now, when, when, when dessert comes, uh, bring, have the guy bring this to my wife. It's her birthday uh, coming up. And so, so, uh, the, so we're there. And, and they sure enough, they brought it. And she opened up the note and read it. And then I could just see in her face that that didn't record well. And then she started opening. I said, wait a minute. Did I say something wrong? Of course i'd forgotten what i said because i'm ADD, adhd I, I had no idea what i'd written that afternoon i'd forgotten it anyways she said, no, no said, not no come on what did i say that didn't do go, go over well she I, here's what i'd written darcy you're my reason for living love tim i'd heard somebody say it i thought it was poetic and, and she looked at and then she turned and said tim i can't be your reason for living i can't i can't carry that burden that's too much. I, I, I'll, I'll let you down. And, and then what if I die? then what? So there's only one person can be your reason for living, and his name is Jesus. I thought, oh, great, you're going theological on me. We're supposed to be having a date, and I'm trying to figure out we're going to have a big old fight. And then here comes Mr. Goulet over with his mic, and he sits down. We got a birthday girl here. He sits down and croons a love song to her, and all the old women in the place are crying, and I wanted to crawl into the carpet. It was just a bad scene. But in the process, I was taught a lesson. You see, we can't turn to each other for that kind of stuff. We, we can't love the, uh, the person well because if, if, that's, if, if, the, if we're too in, uh, codependent on them. I'm going to say something. This is going to sound kind of weird to you. Uh, first of all, look at this verse here, John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow through him. See, God's love wants to come through us in our relationship to each other. Now, listen to this, and then I'm going to land the plane here. We tend to come into our marriage and we think, okay, I love God and I'm gonna take my love for God and I'm gonna use that to love my spouse. And that's where we go wrong. It's not my love for God I want to bring to, to my marriage, but God's love for me I want to bring to it. Now, this is very abstract, but if you can get your head around this, you're gonna be light years ahead. It's not my love for God that I wanna to bring to my marriage because my love is my love, it's still limited. It's God's love for me flowing through me. And that only happens when we stay in relationship with Jesus through the cross. We uh, our oldest daughter, Karis, had a wonderful man ask to marry her, and uh and she's getting married to the dead. What I, I would love for you to do, would you give me a blessing at the wedding? I said, sure. And I thought, well, what would I say? What should I say? And, you know, of course, a lot of these kind of concepts are on my mind over the years. And I decided to write her a poem. And I'm going to close with this poem that I wrote to her. Um, Hopefully it captures the gist of what I was trying to say. Uh, By the way, she married an identical twin, a good man. I said, a good man stands beside you, and he longs to trust your heart. He's been loyal to his brother, a fine son from the start. He's everything you prayed for, and he puts my fears at rest. But somewhere past this moment, life will put you to a test. You see, it almost seems too easy in this shrine of vows and rings to think that you will always want to love and do good things. But I've learned life has imposters who can slip in through the seams of a love that gets distracted by the lure of earthly themes. And so, please let these father words sink somewhere deep inside and pray they hold you vigilant should life toy with your pride. For somewhere in the future, who knows just when or where, these fickle friends will call your bluff and test how much you care. Suppose you find the gifts you've honed and polished through the years, become a source of marvel and looked up to by your peers. Regardless of the headlines or the stars beside your name, please keep your arms around this man and love him more than fame. And should your life be blessed with far more goods than you can count, like Midas with his golden touch, successes, silver fount? You may be so inclined to put your heart in money's health. Don't do it, my sweet daughter. Love this man more than wealth. You might just find that through the years, your home becomes a place that turns each soul that visits you into a well-known face, a home filled with contagious joy that causes hearts to blend. In all that fun, don't fail to love this man far more than friends. And sometimes in the clutter and the hurry of the day, the worst might get the best of you and make you want to say that you're tired of all the pressures. You're weary of love's tests. Just keep your hand clenched tightly in his and love him more than rest. And what if, by divine design, you're called to some great cause, some noble goal or effort that can haunt with fear and pause? And should it all require a peek into the throat of death, Just hold this man with all you've got and love him more than breath. Oh, please, dear daughter, love this man. Yet, do not think this odd. Be careful that no matter what, you love him less than God. For in the shadow of the cross, in spite of second place, he'll know, he'll see his heart secure by the peace on your sweet face. The greatest gift you give his wife is loving Christ above your life. And so I bid you now to bless. Go love him more and love him less. Lord Jesus, we need your grace to wrap around our love, to help us sustain and endure the challenges and the race before us in our married life. For everyone here, those who are married, been married, going to be married or know somebody that's married, I pray that these words will sift deep down inside and will let your your presence and power in our life dominate our lives, own our lives, lead our lives. You're a wonderful God, and we thank you for your, your kindness and mercy. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. Thank you.